And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So you started a company, maybe even a tech company, and now it's time to scale but you are a non-technical founder. Man, this is something I know all about. And despite employing 200 software developers at full scale, I'm still considered a non-technical founder. And actually more people are non-technical founders than not. And that's what we are gonna discuss today. Before we get into that, you should know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by fullscale.io, helping non-technical founders build software development teams quickly and affordably. With us today is another company off the Startup Hustle 2021 top startups list. I've got Ricardo Regalado, the CEO of, of, we were debating, is it Root or Route? And according to Ricardo, it is Route, and I agree with them, but it is (laughs) regional. So you can go to getroute.com, G-E-T-R-O-U, te.com there's a link in the show notes straight out of chicago ricardo welcome to startup hustle thank you for having me man yeah i appreciate it i like to say no one tells the story uh better than founders and ceos so why don't you give us a little bit about your backstory and what 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 you guys and gals have done to get on our top list of startups lay it on us yeah man well hey again thanks for having me uh Backstory is a, it's a fun one, man. I'm one of those founders that is building a software and a solution for the space that I actually have another business in. So I I have a family cleaning business. Uh, And when I mean family, it's, I have like 17 family members that work with me at that company. Uh, And we, we started that business about eight years ago. And what we did was start off with commercial cleaning first, and it just expanded into multiple services in the facility services space. But as I grew that business, Matt, like, I mean, technology in the cleaning space is is non-existent, but it's coming now, right? Like there is a lot of technology now in the past five years that I've seen hit the market, uh, but there wasn't one for sales. There wasn't one for stream, streamlining the walkthrough to the proposal uh, in so many more facets that I, I struggled. You know, I hit a wall when I was growing that business. And that is really how Route came to be about is I couldn't find a solution. So I said, hey, I'm in Chicago. There's a big technology ecosystem here uh, at a place called 1871. And I was like, you know, why can't I do it? You know, like if, if there's nothing out there, why can't I come up with it if I know the pain points and I know my my industry? And we, two years ago, maybe a little bit more than two years ago, we just started, we hit the ground running, uh, started wireframing, came up with some ideas of what we thought we the product would look like. Entered a pitch competition. I won $40,000 with Capital One, and uh, it was called Catapult. Um, and it it was awesome, man. I mean, for for them to to choose us based on wireframes and no customers, no no business. I mean, it, we built the business plan during that, uh, I guess you call it like an accelerator incubator type of program. And with that money, I mean, we, we're, we built the program and built the application, and we've been busting at the seams ever since. I think I can build software are famous words that non-technical founders say before they do it well or before they enter the abyss or jump down the rabbit hole known as technology. Uh, There's, you know, one thing that I have learned and coming up on 15 years of doing this stuff myself is that building software is a lot harder than you think it is. It takes longer. It costs more money. There's like a lot of unanswered stuff. And, and, you know, that's a lot of great non-technical company or non-technical founders build solutions based around companies and businesses that they're already in and solving problems 
that they already have. Now, I know you hinted at this a little bit. Now, every good software has to solve a problem. What were a couple of the specifics that that you that what were a couple of the pain points and the problems that uh, get get a route solved? Yeah, yeah, great question, man. Uh, And and that's what our 1.0 is today, right, is the the issues that I had a few years ago when I told you I ran into that wall is I wanted I had hit the two million dollar mark as a revenue for my business. But I, I was at a standpoint, I couldn't grow much more. And that was because I was the one busy doing the walkthrough, the the bid, the proposal, sending it out, try to do this in a timely manner, while at the same time still wearing other hats in the business. It it was it was a pain. It was a struggle, man. And I was like, man, how can I get the you know, what's in my head out so my team and other people can help me sell better, sell faster, sell together, which is our motto at Route. And that's what I, that's what I set off to do is we we have digitized the walkthrough, meaning, you know, think about if Start, Startup Hustle had an office, a commercial office space, you would Google to look for a cleaning company. And the first thing they're going to do is a walkthrough of your space. Why? Because they're going to try to understand expectations. They're going to try to build a portrait of your space, get measurements, get estimate, calculate, give you a bid based on what you what your space looks like and what you need, right? That's been pen and paper up until Route, right? Is... It was, you go there with a notebook, you take some notes, you get some pictures with your phone and you go back to the office. And this, this just takes time, man. So we were like, all right, well, let's try to streamline this. Came up with the application, which is 1.0 today, where we digitize it, man. You could, you could go to a place, build a portrait of a space with the app, go back to the office or even from your car, come up with a bid, uh, create a proposal and send it within an hour of you walking the space. And you could do this anywhere in the country. So it just doesn't have to be in Chicago. I could, which I've done proposals for Philadelphia, Dallas, Charlotte. I've never seen these spaces, but because the tool gives you all those solutions, we're able to do it, man, and scale the business. I, uh, Rosalado using Route and some other technology, we have now, we're on pace to hit about 10 million in revenue based off from, from a couple of years ago. So I would imagine another thing with the creation of quotes and estimates is that's heavily reliant on the person that does it. And so one person might be a little over aggressive. Another person might be really conservative. And I would imagine that you can probably get yourself into some non-profitable situations as well. I mean, I I don't know too much about that. Well, Matt, you just, you literally just said the number one issue in, in our in our industry uh and, and it's underbidding it's not maintaining profitability it's business owners wearing too many hats i mean our our industry is fragmented as hell man like there's over almost a million cleaning companies just in the u.s 90 percent of them are operating at a million in revenue and under and it's because they just a lot of them don't have the tools to scale man and that's why you know now 2.0 version mm-hmm. We're just adding more and more tools to allow the small business guys to compete with the bigger guys. Yeah. And it, when you hear the term fragmented industry, that means that while there might be a couple big players that below that one, two or three spot, there's a zillion other oh, yeah. people's. And the problem, the problem that occurs with that is these are usually companies and industries or just in general that, well, you look at insurance. That's one we've talked about. There's so many, all these like little offices everywhere that sell a bunch of different products and they're not full-time aligned with one company, like say state farm or whatever. So what happens is they don't have the resources or interest and, or expertise to develop their own tools. And sometimes they try and they fail miserably. And that's, that's one of the issues that I see a lot of people run into. So in order like, so whenever you're building software, especially as a non-technical founder, I've made a few points here for us to discuss. Cause yeah. like I said, I've, I've, I've been, I've been a non-technical founder and have developed, developed multiple platforms. And honestly, I spend a hell of a lot of time talking to non-technical founders about the things that I've learned. And, uh, you know, with that, you know, first on that list is as a non-technical founder, you have to have a strong grasp on what you, what you, uh, about knowing what you need and want your product to do. You can't just say like, Hey, I need <sighs> this to be, to bid for cleaning jobs. Cause if you give that to a technical team, they're going to go. And now what? Oh man, Matt, that's, that's my life, man. Like 
I could go on and on on the background of, you know, at, in the beginning, I got lucky because I found my, te- my co-founder is technical, right? So I found him at 1871. He was going to come on as a consultant. And when he saw the project and saw the vision, he was like, oh, Rick, I want in. I, w- I want to do this with you, right? Young kid, hungry, gritty, uh, self-taught coder, right? Where <laughs> that's exactly what I would tell him. I was like, all right, Joe, this is what I want to do, man. I wanted to do this, this, and this. Uh, when can we launch? You know, how quickly can we get done? He's like, Rick. Hold on. We got to do business logic. We got even before the wireframes, we have to know functionality. Like I learned a lot of terms. I learned a lot of language and a better understanding that in the first six months, we tried two agencies, one, one offshore, miserable, miserable experience, uh, different time zones. They just didn't know what I was trying to do. Neither did I relate to them that I knew what I wanted to do. So having an internal team, because that's what we have, Matt. I've got three engineers in the office, one uh, product designer, you know, head of customer success. These, our team is sitting elbow to elbow with me. And we, we go through sprints. I understand the logic behind, if I know what I wanted to do, like I have to tell them in the easiest, most common sense way for them to understand, to then go ahead and, you know, build me a prototype or something clickable so then we know ahead of time, before we go too far in the build, is this what you were talking about, Rick? Yeah, and we're actually at full scale, we're actually in the business of helping people be successful with offshore teams, which is a real thing. Because if you don't know what you're doing, why would you think that why would you think that the rest of your team would? And you know, a lot of there's a lot of red flags that have come up, especially with talking to them. So the, actually, our business model uh, re- basically requires that our clients have someone here. It's not a hundred percent offshore. We, we like people that we want you to be elbow to elbow with at least like one person that understands the tech. And then we scale the team from there. And that's the hard part about when we talk about, we're talking about scaling as a non-technical founder, there's just this massive shortage of developers in the U S I mean, that's part of why my business even exists because there's about 350,000 open jobs. So, you know, now one of the things, and, and as we move down the list of, of stuff here, um, you know, you've probably, you, I can imagine how much you've learned. Oh my God. And the first couple of years. So, you know, but you got to find advice and input from several people, not just one, and that's mm-hmm. a mistake I see a lot of non-technical. They go find one person that that is a developer or something, and that's the only input they get. And you'll find a wide array of input advice coming from a lot of people, some of which probably shouldn't even be giving you input, <laughs> especially you structuring your business around. Yeah. So like find as many people and as many sources of info because it, while you while you're non-technical and, and and non-technical is defined as like I'm I don't write code I write checks that's that's what I do <laughs> so no, yeah, I swear, they're, yeah. like, they're like, both important parts of the process but you have to be able to communicate with your technical people on a level of basic understanding it doesn't mean you need to write code but you got to get a lot of input from a lot of different people is that something that you did yeah, well, no, I, I mean, you nailed it, Matt. I think that's that's why we've seen some successes. I am that person who's very, I, I do not want to be the smartest person in the room. I can be the biggest dreamer, right? I'm a visionary, right? That's that I know it, I live it, I breathe it. But I will be the first to ask for help. I have, you know, a laundry list of people that I've emailed. I'll cold email you if I see that you wrote an article or a blog that I find interesting, and then I'm like, hey, wait a minute, could that could that fit my model? Or could we do something like that? I will just literally blast you an email. You may answer, you may not. But I've I've learned that networking and collaborating and sharing your story opens up the, the floodgates for people that just, they like to hear people's stories, right? Like me and you are talking right now. We're sharing each other's stories and backgrounds. It's like, I might hit you up right after this to learn more about full scale, you know? Because it's like, I know I can't, I don't, I don't have the, you know, I have five people on my team. I'd like to have 30. I'd like to have 40, right? But that doesn't mean they have to be on my team. I can go reach out to you guys as resources because that that is how you scale, man. That's how, that's how I scaled my other businesses. Delegation. Yeah, and the, well, and, and with that, you, you led me right up to my next item. Consult the internet. 
It's like the simplest advice. Like I've learned 80% of the technical stuff that I've learned from Google. Yeah. Reading no, just Google true. it and re- and read up. It's not that hard. You know, and just read up a little bit and, and you get a better idea of like what's trending, what's going on, basic understanding. YouTube's a great, a great, uh, a great, you know, form of input as well. No, dude, Matt, you again, this is, this is good vibe right here. Like, like think about, I, I Google everything first and then I'll reference it. Right. Cause I do have, you know, now I have some advisors on the team. Now I've, I, I know some of the Chicago ecosystem, which there's a, there's a lot of brilliant minds here in Chicago. So I don't even have to go that far, right. To, to be able to know uh tech stack, to know, you know, marketplace versus SaaS, you know, what do we want to do? Do we want to go sell to the consumer? You know, what's a safe note? What's a convertible note? If I'm going to fundraise, who should I be talking to? Did I speak to investors too early? Which I did, by the way. I and, and my and my angel told me like, Rick, you're going to fall, you know, flat on your face. But this is good for you. Learn, you know, understand what investors are looking for because that's the biggest difference for me, Matt. Is with my other two businesses, I never raised money. Like I, you know, we grew, we just grew, and the business sustained itself. But with technology, it's like, man, if you want to scale, you've ultimately have to fundraise, right? And you have to find the right people that are going to give you an influx of capital that, you know, you're, you're going to marry them. You're, you're, you're in bed with these investors and you better know what you're doing and you better have a game plan uh, because then you shouldn't be out there fundraising. And it's more of, is it a lifestyle or is it a venture back type of solution that you're building? You better hope it's not a lifestyle business if you're talking to VCs because they'll tell you that you're wasting you're wasting their time. And in regards to you know all of it, and that's the so in my book Million Dollar Bedroom, I actually give some advice. I'm like, be careful, choose your partners and investors wisely because it's easy it's easier to get rid of your spouse than it is to get rid of your partners. Ooh, uh, and yeah, it is. It, it, I mean, it's true. It's true. And you know, so and that's one of the differences that you know. I'm glad you brought up the fundraising part because you know one of the things that with a service business is the path to revenue is fairly short. You have you found an account, you cleaned a place, you got paid. That no, yeah, wasn't it, like that wasn't that wasn't like a uh, a software product, which are I mean uh, historically and almost guaranteed to be a cash suck uh, for a while uh, yeah, for a lot I've, of different I've, reasons. And yeah, yeah, I've bootstrapped Matt, so I know. Like my, we've been bootstrapping for two years, and it's like, you know, with the service business, there's no CAC, you know, there's no LTV, yep. there's I mean it's. The, the marketing campaign is so much different that it's the, you know, you don't have a head of customer success for, for a service business, you know, like, yeah, you have customer service, but it is, it's a different beast, man. But I'll tell you, I, I mean, you said it too, where if you're going to get into the software business, you must, you better have a passion for it because there's a lot to learn, man. And, and if, if you don't learn it, I really say shame on you because, you know, like, even if, even though we're non-technical, I'm sure you can, you know, you ask yourself or myself questions that will eight, eight or nine times out of 10, we'll know the answer because like you said, we researched it because it's like when people are trying to raise money or, or say they have the best solution, but they didn't do any research or are, you know, expect not to be, you know, have an understanding of anything technical. It's like, man, you got to know something though. Right. Don't you agree? Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to a lot of people, the the thing I've learned is whether it's a developer or someone else is they tend to give advice that is very centric around the things that they understand. Like if they're a .NET developer or they like Microsoft platform, then that's always their recommendation. But they often don't know why, you know, they're not giving you a big why. And, um, you know, one of the things that I have on this list as well is, well, first off, you do need to find uh, find a str- either a strong technical lead or a strong technical services partner. And the thing is, is like, you can't like I, 12 years, 12, 15 years later, I can have highly technical conversations, but I'm still, I still don't practice the stuff. So you need to either have that as someone that's on your team that can help decipher and decode what the hell some of these people are even talking about or have a strong partner that does it. It sounds like you didn't get that and in a prior relationship and here's the thing is there are companies out there that are i'm 
I'm going to use the word predatory, but that's maybe a little strong, but they know, trust me, they know when they're not, when they're talking to non-technical people. So they can tell yeah. you, oh, it's just going to take longer. It's going to take longer, but you don't know. And that's no. where that's that's where strong technical partners advice and in my case experience like I have a very strong grasp at this point how long anything should take, and oh, yeah. it doesn't mean I'm right, but I I, I get I have a strong sense for whether it's going fast, whether it's going slow, or whether it's kind of right where it should be. No, and that either comes from experience or input. No, my, that, that's a great piece of advice, Matt. Is I, yeah, I didn't have that in the beginning, but then once I found it and I did find my technical co-founder, it was night and day from, you know, understanding commitments from, from a dev agency or just a, an engineer or developer in general, like no, there's nothing speaks better than confidence, right. Than saying like, okay, we know, you know, what the framework is going to look like. You know, we may not be doing it all ourselves, but we understand what expectations look like. And here's why, because we, we do a lot of things internal, right. But but as a startup, you need, you're right, you need, I don't know if it's just offshore in general, but you need a partner. I mean, we we have found the supplemental partner here in Chicago where we know the capacity that our internal team can do and then what they need to do in order for us to hit the market with new features and products because, uh, you know, I can't hire everybody, right? Like it's it's a, the burn would burn you out, right? That you would I would close the doors if I had to pay for all the engineers in-house. It's just not possible to scale. I don't, for me, for now. Yeah, that's what we did at full scale. So I had I had employees in the Philippines for eight or nine years before we ever did anything client services oriented. And then with my business partner Matt Watson, who's also a frequent co-host of mine on the show, um, he had he had basically, uh, in many ways, become envious of of the team that I had built in the Philippines and the accessibility and the affordability and also the stability. Cause that's another thing too, is the, the market here is so competitive that well, a lot of people watch their, their tech team. It's just kind of looks like a carousel here. Cause the yeah. big, big companies, uh, Google, Amazon, whoever, uh, whoever it is in your town, uh, buys them up and they have a deeper wallet. And on, honestly, on many days, more attractive, positions because they have benefits and, you know, things that I don't know. I mean, eventually you got to think about it is the idea that everyone wants a, a, a couple percent of your startup and they're going to be able to go home and sell that to mama. Uh, you know, like, that's what I'm saying. It's like people have lives and they like people generally st favor stability and, and a lot of that stuff. And startups don't usually offer don't have that. that. So yeah. you you got to kind of have that dreamer or whatever. So, you know, and like you said, when it comes to like strong technical part, like what we did at full scale is basically we created the model the way we would want it as founders. And, okay. you know, you talk about communication and time zones, like our time, like our, our shifts overlap with the morning or the afternoon here. And then we have another one that overlaps all day. So you're guaranteed to know okay. when, when those people are available to have structured formal conversations and, and don't get, don't get, don't overvalue the whole, Oh, I need to be able to reach them all day. Do you want them writing code or talking to you all day? Cause you're going to no. have to pick one or the other. Yeah. And that's, and, and that, and that's an important one too. And then, you know, another thing is, is, and this is kind of the next part. And this is what is really, really, really tough to do, especially even for experienced people is how do you assess whether anyone's any good oh, at what man. they do? I could talk about this for days. That, that was my in the well, beginning. I could too, because that's, te <laughs> that's technically what I'm in the business of at this oh. point. Is recruiting, and we say rare, recruiting, assessing, retaining, and employing. Oh, and Matt, that's the part is tough. It is. It like, And that's where like my, the first engineer gave me the greatest advice that I got uh, as far as, you know, I did the hiring, Matt. I hired our first engineer. I have no business. I had no business doing that. I just went off the resume and I went off personality and I went off our our interview, right? And I'm a nice guy already. Everybody knows that in my, here at, all, at the office. They're like, Rick, you're the nicest boss in the world. So like months had passed, Matt. And I was like, man, you know, is, is he doing what he's supposed to be doing? Oh yeah, he's doing what he's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. okay, we're good, we're good. And we're talking about like 
month four, five, and it's like, what? You know, we got like a sign-up screen dump, and I was like, what the? Hell? Something's got to be up here. So that's when my technical co-founder came into play, and he was like, Rick, nah, something's going on. Reevaluate. Uh, we have to part ways. So when we parted ways, Matt, what the, what the kid told me, I don't, I don't, I won't name any names. He was just like, Rick, you know, one piece of advice, man, is like interview your you didn't interview me, man. Like it, you just hired me from the whim. You didn't really put me through any ringer. You didn't test me. I really, I really got one on you, but here's the advice that I'm giving you. Like this is a kid. He just told me that. And he's like, but what I'm going to tell you is, uh, you know, test the next person, put them to the test, understand what they're building for you, you know, make a project. Like he actually gave me good advice. Right. So then what do we do moving forward? Every person we've brought on, we've tested them. We've done three or four interviews. We, we've had my advisor ask questions like, and then to this day, we still have those guys on the team and they're producers. But it was because of that gentleman that opened my eyes to say, you know, you know, Rick, you did, I can't do what I did normally in the other businesses where we just hired off a personality and, and what I thought was work ethic. Because, man, assessing an engineer, a developer, or even a designer is night and day from a service business to a software business. I'll give you some insight. We've created 40 different certification assessments. Well, I need some of those. <laughs> 40, 40, man. Like, think about that. And that's like, I mean, that's everything from core technologies to things like algorithms, problem solving, you know, all the way down to English language. And, uh, you know, those are all, uh, they were created. That's where, so my, my business partner is quite technical. I mean, he sold his first software company for 150 million bucks. I, I go with the assumption that he knows what he's doing on most days. And, uh, and, the, and with those assessments, the thing is, is you want people, you want to see people do it, not just answer trivia questions, you know, so they're like heavily weighted in the writing code. And these assessments are things like, they're like, Hey, here's some code. There's a, there's a problem in here. This is what you need to do. Do it. And timer, uh, I knocked the timer because want to see people perform under pressure. And a disappearing clock is one of those things because you have deadlines, you have other things. And some people panic, man. They're just like, you know, so yeah. I think that the speed, speed and accuracy are important because someone that arrives at the solution three times slower than the other person is actually technically three times more expensive. Um, yeah. And then other things too. So we, that's not even our, our main, that passing one of those of our 40 assessments just earns you a technical interview. And then we sit them in front of, we've got uh, 16 different people at our company that are experts at what they do. And that's the key thing because you can't fake it past those guys. No, and gals. Yeah. Well, you can't yeah. like, they know, like if I, if you sit me down and let me talk to an entrepreneur for an hour, I feel at the end of that conversation, I'm going to have a pretty strong grasp on whether or not they know what they're talking about or not. Yeah, it's just so, hard. To, it's hard. It's hard to bullshit your way through that. And then we're still not even done, Ricardo. Then there's another interview and we're looking for things like experience, relevant experience, passion, because if you put people in front of what they're passionate about, they go, go, go. Oh, they go. They you go. Have communication, yeah. attitude, likability, leadership, like all these intangible things. And there's 10 of those total. And that might get you recommended to get a job offer. So overall, it's about one out of 75 people make it through that gauntlet. But, but talk about after they make it through that gauntlet, like how confident do you feel of that team member? hundred you know, like percent. You're, you're going to put them on 100%. a project for somebody. Cause it's, you, you touched on things that people just don't realize are necessities, like the grit, the passion, the, you know, yep. at, you know, reacting to different situations that are going to occur. A, that's another and thing being, too. We have a rating, we have a five point rating scale, like five is the highest, like what, what level of technical difficulty will this person likely still thrive in? And like a four, like a three is an average, like your site's probably a three because it's not like processing billions of data points or yeah. doing something wild or crazy. It's kind of a standard SaaS platform. Yeah. And then you get into things that have a lot of moving parts and gears. And then five are the things that are just like almost living, breathing organisms. They have machine learning and like, yeah. Like, but, well, my, my business partner has another company, Stackify. It processes a couple billion data points a day. 
That's wow. complex. That's complex. Yeah. So yeah. It, yeah, but getting an idea of where people are going to thrive because not all, not all, not all platforms require programmatic genius. Sometimes no. it's common sense organization and being able to put things together. And there's, there's a lot to be said about the people that do that really well, as opposed to the kind of weird genius that does something that no one else really does well yet. Well, Those are different that, people often. That's, yeah. that's a great topic on complimentary team members, right? Like, yeah, that, that person who's the, the data scientist and complex, you know, the database on the back end versus the common sense engineer, what upfront, what are, you know, an introvert versus an extrovert. So it's like, there, man, there's a lot of personalities that go into building software because as a non-technical founder, man, like you, you sometimes feel like, man, you're in a room with people that are smarter than you and that are talking a language that you may not know. You have an understanding, but you're banking on them to build your baby and build your product. So it, it takes a lot of cojones, you know, from our end to entrust in these people. But I mean, that's something I was going to ask you too, Matt, like the, what you guys are doing with full scale. Cause this is something I always thought about. Like, is, is it, I don't want to say business model, but is it your guys mission? Cause I feel like this is a need for tech, especially non-technical founders is, you know, we shouldn't make those mistakes up front. We should entrust in companies like you guys or, or a dev team, you know, again, like you said, having one internal founder or team member that is, within our organization. But if we want to build something to get to market and something that's going to be sustainable and a product that is going to get beat up and used by the public, we should find companies like you guys to get us there quicker. But then is it your mission to also help us as non-technical founders build an internal team alongside your team? Yeah. Yes. How does, yes. How and, does that yes. And no. Yes. And no. So we, we like to see some, we, our goal is to just try to help people avoid pitfalls that, you know, like there's all these, especially early, you know, there's, if you're an early stage company and you have two developers on your team and you hire the wrong two people, that could be the end of your mission Yeah, yeah. because you just lose, you lose time, you lose money, you lose traction. And so like with our hiring model is here's the thing is I, what I found. And this is why that first point of knowing what you need and want the product to do, like that's your vision. Like you, when you hire developers, don't expect them to immediately understand that you have to be able yeah. to convey that. So, convey that, we, yeah. you know, we, 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 we say no to more clients than we say yes to, which is a weird thing for when a lot of people hear it, they're like, why would you turn down business? I'm like, Cause we, cause we've realized that we got to be good at, we just want to be a plus at the one thing that we're good at, which is helping people build the team. So sometimes you talk about advice, like we'll tell people, we'll say, you don't we want to see a, a, a lead developer, a product manager or a project manager, some kind of ownership on uh, here or well and it's not our clients aren't just in the united states we have some in australia and some in england and a couple in canada and uh, and one in puerto rico which i want to go visit so i can say go visit there <laughs> yeah 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 well the philippines is pretty nice too it's tropical there every day of the year but but with that the thing is is you have to have there is we do uh, place a lot of value on that internal discussion that companies have and being able to have an understanding when you hire developers, that's kind of like hiring a, a, a building crew to come in. And, you know, like on the web series that we have for Startup Hustle TV, you'll see the Perkins brothers. Those guys make their own plans and CAD drawings and everything before they build a house. Oh, yeah. And yeah. the thing Processes. is, is without, without that, the rest of the people like the carpenters, the all of them. They show up and they're like, where, where are the plans? And no, if those plans analogy. don't exist and you just have a bunch of people just like yeah. pounding nails and doing what they want. Well, not only are you not going to know, is no one going to know who did what later, you have no accountability to check and see if they did and all of that. So like it's so sometimes we'll tell people, uh, I mean, we take a consultative approach with all of our clients and we'll say like, look, you might want to have this position locally. And then we've got other things. So like we only do developers full time, but we have some other piecemeal things that you can do fractionally like project managers or sometimes just goofy things like graphic design. Like sometimes you just need a designer you for just like a designer wow. for a day. Yeah, and and sure. it could take you two, two or it could take you a couple of weeks to find someone that you want and then hope they get it done. And you next thing you know, you've spent 32 hours trying to find someone 
that you need for eight hours worth of service. So some of the yeah. stuff's in-house. And then another thing's like QA. Uh, like QA is get, having a good people, uh, and this is the non-technical uh, thinking like, oh, well, shouldn't a developer also be able to find their own errors? Uh, yeah. Well, it's not always about that. It's about perspective sometimes. And you get so close to something for so long, it's sometimes hard to see the flaws. You get and another thing too yeah. is why, why, why pay someone $40 an hour to do something that someone else will do for 20. That's good and, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. so, you know, I've, I've, as a non-technical founder, I've moved to the, to the area of believing, you know, you want your developers developing your testers, testing your whoever doing what, you know, and yeah. like, and that should be the goal. Cause it's just like, well, I'm a big baseball fan. You don't put your catcher in center field. You don't see yeah. that a whole lot. He yeah. doesn't go walk out to the mound and throw pitches. Yeah. All, you know, like you have people, especially in technical roles and I'll get now full scale. We look for, we're, we're overwhelmingly uh, high level. Like we want senior, like 80% of our employees have, have six or more ex years of experience doing what they're doing. Yeah. And there's, there's something I've learned to appreciate. And this is, this will kind of move us down on the next talking point. Don't become obsessed with cheap. Oh, like people I'm, will look yeah. at, they'll look at the, Oh, this person's like, 10 bucks an hour on some weird, uh, you know, freelancer site. Well, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Um, there really is. And, you know, the, the people that have experience and understanding, they, they will, they accumulate less technical debt and technical debt. If you, if you've never heard Ooh. of that and you're non-technical, those are we all the things that, that you do because you're either taking a shortcut or you don't know what you're doing and they eventually need to get fixed. And the problem is, is a lot of times businesses realize they have to mend and patch their technical debt at times that they've already gained a little bit of traction. And it's heartbreaking because you have to stop what you're doing. You can't change, change a car's tires while it's in motion, it's or at least yep. if you do, it's going to be one hell of a, of a, of a work in progress. So did you, did you go through the technical debt accumulation oh, yeah. at any point? We got some of that. <laughs> Talk a little got... bit about that. Cause I think that's important when it comes to scaling. Well, no, yeah. I mean, in the beginning, again, we, we, we thought, you know, time was of the essence, right? We need to get a product out. We need a launch. We need it to get. And that's Okay. Things. Yeah. And that's all. Yeah. It was, so it's like, it was good and bad. Like we knew 1.0 that we have right now got us, you know, we're over 200 companies using the product in five different countries, but we got a lot of feedback on things that when we went to market was a question mark already. Right. We were like, Ooh, we're probably going to, we're going to get some feedback on this, but you know, Hey, we're, we're live. And it's just like, Oh, so now we got to go back and fix it. 2.0 is, you know, just creating you know, I guess, what do you say? Parity with their, you know, parity between what 1.0 is to 2.0, but there's things there, even like on the database, on the back end, on, you know, certain decisions that we made that, you know, they weren't my decision entirety, but it's like, oh man, you know, my co-founder hates the word technical debt because it's like, we could have avoided some of those things. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, from a non- I didn't know that as a non-technical founder, I, I knew what the word was, but I didn't know what it meant, you know, to where we are now, 18 months later, where it's like, damn, you know, but it, it's okay. As long as we learn from it now, we, we push forward. I don't think you truly understand technical debt as a founder until you have to pay, pay the debt back. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I had to do that. I had to do that with Gigabook. I mean, at one point it cost me about a hundred grand to redo a whole lot of stuff. And it also took, three months to get that done. Um, and it was just like, so sometimes the way you build things, cause you don't know what you don't know until the yeah. moment you realize you don't know it. And sometimes building software and building applications, is kind of like Legos, you know? And if you're, if you have kids, and I think you said you have a two-year-old, yeah. which means yeah. if you have Legos, they've all just become one big set. They're not yeah. like five different kits anymore. So you start building it. Next thing you know, they're coming in the room and they're going, daddy, look, I built a castle. And you're like, Castle doesn't have one wheel on it and it doesn't have a wing sticking out the side, but that's kind of what software ends up somehow as you get, you know, you get months into it and you say, Oh shit, we didn't even think about this. And now we've got to put this in there. So you start stacking things upon other things. And then 
the and that's that's where I think what non-technical people really underestimate is the complexity that begins to multiply when features and other things and integrations and all that have to start working with each other. Because yeah. the more things you build and stack on top of each other, it's not like just one level harder. It's an ex it's an exponent harder because yep. if you have one thing that only attaches to one other thing that's fine but if you want to add in one more thing when you've already got six other things that's six things to connect it to often not just one and you look at something like an invoice let's say and this is where you don't think about it like it's easy to make a straightforward invoice it's the hard part is what happens if that needs to change after that yeah, uh, or gives a refund, or goes somewhere else, or just like I mean, and, and it, it, oh man, it it gets, oh, man, it gets, it can get nasty. I got, I got one for you. As far as like even signups, right? Locks and keys. People going from a free plan to a paid plan, back to a free plan. Oh like, yeah. The little things where I was like, wait, what? This is this is an issue. What? Like, oh, we gotta we gotta fix this. They're like, yeah, Rick, we didn't think about it in this scenario, right? Like, what if? you know, a, a client of a customer wants to sign up as a merchant or you're doing subcontracting because in our industry, there's a lot of subcontracting going on where it's who has visibility and permissions versus the other, like little things that when you're signing up to a software, like any typical software nowadays, you, I have an appreciation now for when I'm signing up for things and I'm like, oh man, they thought about that. Ooh, you know, like, I have an, I think about I have an appreciation for how, how long things take in general. Cause, and that's going to lead me to my, I have a key point. And for those of you that are listening, this is part of what you waited for before I tell you what that is. I want to remind you that today's episode of startup hustles brought to you by fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. So yeah, by the way, we have 180 developers who at this moment of recording are 100% busy with clients, which is crazy. Nice, um, I think nice. that says a lot of, a lot about what we're doing. But uh, one thing as a technical, as a non-technical person, and I, this is like, oh man, I probably should have just started with this because this is so, so key. Just because you want it done by a specific date and time does not make it possible. You can't like, and I run into technical, they're like, we've got this launch in two weeks. And they're, and they just really like that's, they've got it in their head, but they really don't have any understanding about what it's going to take to get there. So they end up, either, I don't know, they lead the business astray. They drive themselves crazy. They get angry at their team. They tell people that they're failing, but they may have had something that they, because just because you want it done by a certain time doesn't mean that it is. Oh, it's like yeah. that it's capable. Have you run into that? Did you have to learn that yeah. yet? I'm, I'm learning that. Uh, and I, and I appreciate, I appreciate that now, man. Like, cause like every aspect of building a software. Now I understand the commitment of time and I, and I don't put my, my team members in any constraint anymore. Like I used to in the beginning, I, you know, I would be that guy. Hey, you know, we've got that show coming up in four in four weeks, the convention, let's make sure we have this, this, and that ready. Cause we've gone to a show with a, a feature, not ready. Like it should have been. And you know, we would pay the price. So now it's like, it's mad. It's crazy. Like we know we're, we're gearing up for stuff right now. And I take into consideration, even the conversations that we're going to have to plan for the, ma the, the master plan, which then we have a huddle up, then a kickoff meeting and then wireframe and then design like, before the product is even going to have a first line of code written, there is so much time before that goes into that, that I never really understood until really the last three, four months of, of being involved with the design and like the framework behind everything. Now it's man, like I do not put pressure unless I need to right? like right now we have some dates for this year that, you know, three, four months from now we're given enough time for it. But if you told me this a, a year ago today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the bandwidth. I would have expected and been pissed off. I would have been like, yo, what, why isn't this ready for launch? You know, I told you guys, you know, in three weeks, we got to be ready. And it's like, it, it's unnecessary pressure on the team when you do that to them. Yeah. And the non-technical uh, founder often doesn't understand that there's the many times a lot of, I refer to it as framing and plumbing. 
Uh, these are things that like when building a house, how they're not sexy. You don't really like, yeah. you don't always notice a ton of progress when with framing and plumbing, like you'll see the frame, but you don't realize like all these things that go. And, and when you start something from scratch, the amount of time it takes to build the framing and plumbing and the basement and the foundation oh, yeah. and all those things, they're, they're sometimes, they're sometimes, uh, you know, the, you'll get into like you said, well, kind of like you felt you'll, you could find yourself at month three and you're like, I only have a sign up page. Now, I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad. It kind of depends on what you're building, but you know that's not probably a great thing. Now, one of the things that one of the things that I, I have on this list that I think is important too, and we talked earlier in the episode about getting advice from people that have uh, valid input. And I want, if you're non-technical, I want you to at all costs avoid obscure technology and obscure technology is unless unless it is the only option to create your solution you need to avoid it like the plague because this is what i run into is someone talks to their cousin and their cousin's a programmer somewhere and he's like you should really consider this because it's going to be the next big thing and then it's not and yeah. then someone built their platform in some weird ass coding language that they can't find people to work on it. And there were already in a marketplace where the supply and demand equilibrium for developers is crazy out of balance. And now yeah. you have short, you have, you have, you have reduced your, your options to a minimum. And I'm, talking of these are things that just like they're like number 28 on the list of most popular coding languages hub or something you know and yeah. and there's no, all that's a great weird like the the more standard and more conventional you keep it the more people that that are out there that can possibly join your team and work on it because one of the things is if you go with the obscure stuff even if, after you realize you can't you have a hard time finding people to work on it and then you have to go to the next option, which is people that are willing to learn how to work on it. You're starting from scratch. Yeah, you're man, basically a, starting from scratch. That's a that's a good yeah. That's a great topic. I mean, it, it really is because like we we ran into you know we built the application in React Native on the mobile app, right? Because we wanted to have both Android, and which, iOS. Is, which is which is which is very common now, yeah. but a year two years ago wasn't. No, yeah, and that's where two years ago is when I, when we did it, and it's like. The, you know, the person that we had hired, remember, the, you know, in the beginning, he was a Swift guy, you know, so like, we thought he knew React because he Swift said Swift is a good example. Yeah. Swift is a good example. Like, yeah. and it's an iOS thing only. That's it. Yeah. So like, we, I, I, I get you on that. Like right now we're, you know, like debating MongoDB, we're debating, you know, Flutter, like some not, I mean, they're common now, right? When you think of, you know, if Google's using it to build applications, I got to believe it's you know, you can find the people to work on products, but I, again, six months ago, Matt, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even be talking about this because I, I wouldn't have known or thought of this because you're right. Like you have to think of recruiting. You have to think of if you're going to build things on a tech stack that is not common, how, who's going to do it for you? How are you going to find these people? It's already hard to be competitive as a startup with the bigger guys, but now you're kind of pigeonholing yourself into an obscure piece of technology stack that now, now you're like, you have to really search for somebody to, to work on your project. Yeah. And, and now if, if the only people that know how to do what you're doing, are you have to hire out of Google? That's not, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not a good thing. How are you going to get that might, from Google? Might, might be, ex, might be, exp, might be expensive too. Yeah. So, you know, and that's, or, and will they even let them go? Yeah. You know, so that's another thing. So, uh, you know, with that, I think, and you mentioned this earlier, I think you gained a better understanding of what you needed, uh, both for your platform and then also for your people. And some of that starts with, you need to have really strong job descriptions as far as like what exactly you want your tech, your technical team to do. It's as important as your product roadmap. Um, a lot of developers, especially ones that have a lot of experience have often worked around lots of different technology and lots of different things. Uh, that's sometimes good and sometimes not. I think that 
you know, one thing I'm seeing a lot of developers, uh, they say I'm a front end or a back end developer. They often don't want to do both because there's a lot of complexity on both sides of the stack these mm -hmm. days. And you have to give people a good idea of what it is you want them to do because, uh, you know, I think in, for if you're a really early stage business, you want to try to find people that are as versatile as possible and can do as many things because yep. you need that Swiss Army knife. Yep. Uh, it's when you gain traction and later you can hire specialists like yep. this person just does our API. Yep. No, yeah. You know, and that's yeah, like yeah. all they get. That's all they have to obsess with as opposed to like 10 different things that are, you know, don't often require high levels of expertise, but having some experience, but also with those job descriptions. And I'll say overwhelmingly, I'm not a huge job description person because yeah. I think everyone's job description is to do what the company needs them to do to be successful. Correct. But on the technical side, you got to give people a strong idea. Try to align people with the things that they're passionate about because when you're passionate about something and you want to do it, well, then you'll want to do it. You'll get it done. If not, yeah. then you just won't do it and you won't give a shit about it and you end up with kind of a sloppy situation. And then the, the last thing on my list, and before we prepare to round out this episode is, you know, there's a lot of managed services out there. When I say managed services, like services that, well, like Rackspace is a good example. It's a server and a hosting company, but you can have a managed service aspect to it. And yeah, you're going to pay more, but you have, you can call them. Yeah. And say, you know, my database seems to be running remarkably slow. And they look at it and try and will tell you what's wrong with it. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes things like that for the non-technical are the way to go because your other alternative is you got to have someone that knows what they're doing. Everyone's like, yeah, use Amazon Web Services. That's a very raw unmanaged kind of service. And yeah. if you don't know what you're doing in and, in and around those servers, you can spend a hell of a lot of money on it. And there's just other things too. So a lot of managed services uh, that are out there are a good, are a good option for the non-technical because you're, well, you're kind of hedging in many ways. You might yeah. look at some months, you're like, I pay for these managed services, but I didn't even use I them. Didn't even use them. It's yeah. that it's, Back it's the time it's yeah. the times that you do yeah and it was my mom of all people that taught me this lesson because i i built my first software platform in like a basically a shared cloud at godaddy and it got yeah. hacked this was like 12 years ago and my site was down for days and i had called this other man it was rackspace and i called them and I was talking to my mom and I was like, God, I'm really frustrated. And she, I, she said, why? I said, well, my website's been down for days. I'm bleeding cash. This is terrible. I've got another option, but it's three times more expensive. And she said, what's, how expensive was it to be offline? There you go. You know, a, yeah. and, and this is my mom was the least technical woman ever, you know, like, yeah. I mean, so, and that's fine, but she had a really good point there. So, you no, know, that's... what do you want to focus on? Like keeping keeping tires on the car, doing other things. So you just got to kind of make those decisions, but you're going to pay for them one yeah, way or the other. You're going to pay for them, man. Like my yeah. wife, my wife laughs at me when I, I used to just, when we would buy furniture or buy different things, I'd be like, Oh, I'll, I'll install it. I'll, I'll pick it up and I'll do the delivery. And she's like, you just wasted half a day picking up a truck, going to pick up when there's people that do this kind of a service, Rick. Stop. Yeah. So yeah, yep. I, I hear you. I hear you for sure. So I end my episodes with the Founders Freestyle, which we'll get to in just a second. And I say my episodes because I'm not the only host on Startup Hustle. Make sure to tune in on Tuesdays with Andrew Morgans, where you get to talk all about e-commerce and Amazon. Tune in on Thursdays with Lauren Conway. She's the founder of Innovate Her. Talks about all different subjects and all different kinds of stuff. If you haven't had enough Startup Hustle at that point, check out Startup Hustle TV. We are on our, uh, at the time of recording this, on about our, our fifth week of that. And that is our web series that is giving you a look at entrepreneurship and being a startup founder through the lens of entrepreneurs and startup founders. One advice I can give you, Ricardo, is don't ever start your own TV show. Yeah. So it's a lot of work. We started a show about startups and the show is a startup. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> Uh, it's also a lot of work, much like startups. Now, when I say the founders freestyle, I like to give founders a chance to 
address address the jury of sorts uh, and say whatever you'd like to say to our listeners on the way out. It can be about whatever you want in this case. So yeah. uh, what would you like to say to, to all the founders and people that want to be founders? Man, uh, I don't know this question was going to come up, but you know what? Actually, listening to our <laughs> conversation, man, I would say, you know, not a question to you, but maybe a statement of, man, being a non-technical founder is actually fun. It's been I love challenges and this has been the biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenges of my life because of the fact of not, not being as confident as I, as I was in the beginning. But I'll tell you, man, if you're a developer or if you're in, you know, a, 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 like a full scale and Matt, like in your position, I got to believe you guys love speaking to non-technical founders that are building solutions for their space or their subject matter, because I'm going to tell you, man, there's, there's nobody that has more passion the non-technical founders that know their space and are building a solution for their space. So anybody who's out there that thinks they have a solution or are running into pain points and they just, you know, ask themselves, well, I don't know what anything about technology. Why the hell would I try to take such a risk? Because it's, it is one of the biggest risks I've ever taken, but nothing empowers my industry now or my way of, of, a, of a mission, which is empowering my space than building solutions for the small business community that I'm doing. So it's like, just again, to all the non-technical founders, even just technical founders, right? Because in that sense, technical founders may not have the grit of an entrepreneur that's built a business already, where they both marry and, and, and complement each other very well, that just get out there and do it, man. Find people like you, Matt, that have the wherewithal and understanding on how to build a product. But at the same time, it, it just takes multiple people to 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 make it. I mean, I, I was shocked with in Chicago, how many startups there are and then how many startups fail. Like I still can't get over that number where, you know, it, it's insane. 97, 98% startups fail. That tells you there's a lot of people trying to build businesses, but I, I feel like we have to pick each other up and have these kind of conversations because you just shared so many nuggets. If people actually, you know, if you're listening, some of the stuff you're touching on, that was my life, man. You know, in the first two years of my business, so just know it's going to be a tough road. It's it's not easy building technology, but it's damn fun doing it with the people around you that you care about. Well said, sir. Well said. And for my freestyle, I think I'm going to, I mean, I'll parlay off a lot of what you said. You know, there's a lot of information out there and there's uh, everything from like this podcast. And this isn't the first time we've touched the subject. Uh, there's just a lot of info out there. Uh, if you're going to do a, have a technology startup, you can't ignore technology. You're going to have to if you're non if you're non technical, you're going to have to immerse yourself uh, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, uh, uh, some people, well, some investors aren't aren't going to want to put money into your company if you're completely aloof when it yeah. comes to all of the technical things. It doesn't mean you have to write code. Uh, people ask me all the time. They're like, dude, are you a programmer? I'm like, no, I, I not even close <laughs> in that regard, but I can sit down and have highly technical conversations. It took me a long time to get to that point, but the baseline of that is highly accessible. Like I don't, you don't have to have deep, deep understanding. Like you mentioned react native or react native is a, a mobile platform that's cross compatible. And the benefit of that. And here's the key, understand the benefits of what yeah. different tech does. The benefit of, of that particular technology is it gets you right at the doorstep of submitting an iOS and an Android app while maintaining one code base. Yep. And that means you don't have to build two separate things. Now you had mentioned Swift earlier, which is an obscure technology as far as I'm concerned. A lot mm -hmm. of people use it, but it's not super common. If you get a developer that specializes in just that, you may have to hire another one to get your Android app out. Yeah, and like so as two. a startup, that's not the, that's not the, and then you have two products to maintain, you have two different skill sets. And so, you know, that's, that's where doing that research and understanding what the options are, talking to people that have done it, like one conversation with me about you wanting to build a mobile app would involve me asking what you've already built and if you had any idea about how you wanted to build it 
And my advice, and I don't care, like I have no vested interest in React or its platform, but there are multiple options yeah. that do stuff like that. And how easy is it going to be for you to find people to do it? What are you likely to run into? But really in the end, what are the benefits of using the things that you use? Like there's certain, like I said earlier, certain types of programmers and technical people, because if your business is going to get big, you're going to have to have more of them. And if they're not around, you're going to have two options. You're going to pay huge for some folks. And I think you need to do that on some level anyway. And then you also have other people, but you can end up in situations where you're paying someone a hundred bucks an hour to do stuff they don't even want to do because it's, it's kind of not really at the level that they want to be working at technically. And there's someone else somewhere that'll do it for 25. And you know, that makes it four times more expensive. So you got to understand what you're getting into. Don't sacrifice the long term on the altar of the immediate. And that is tough to do because you still got to get a product out quickly. You still got to get user feedback. You got to do a lot of stuff. So, I mean, really in the end, you're never going to know if you made the right or wrong decisions until way down the road. So you got to, at some point, got to just kind of take a chance and, you know, trust your gut in many cases or find people who you can trust to lean on. So Ricardo, thanks for joining me, man. I'm going to catch up with you down the road. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.